Chapter 31 of Frank Meriwell at Yale, or Freshman Against Freshman, by Bird L. Standish. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 31 What Ditson Wanted On the following day, the great topic of conversation for the class of Umpity 8 was the recent ball game. Wherever the freshmen gathered, they discussed the game and the work of Gordon and Meriwell. Gordon was a free and easy sort of fellow and he had his friends and admirers, some of whom were set in their belief that he was far superior to Merriwell as a pitcher. Roland Ditson attempted to argue on two or three occasions in favor of Gordon, but nobody paid attention to what he said, for it was known that he had tried by every possible means to injure Merriwell, and had been exposed in a contemptible piece of treachery, so that no one cared to be known as his friend and associate. Whenever Ditson would approach a group of lads and try to get in a few words, he would be listened to in stony silence for some moments. Then the entire crowd would turn and walk away, without replying to his remarks or speaking to him at all. This would have driven a fellow less sensitive than Ditson to abandon all hope of going through Yale. Of course, it cut Ditson, but he would grind his teeth and mutter, Merriwell is to blame for it all. Curse him. I won't let him triumph. The time will come when I'll get square with him. I'll have to stay here in order to get square, and stay here I will, no matter how I am treated. Since his duplicity had been made known, and his classmates had turned against him, Ditson had taken to grinding in a fierce manner, and as a result he had made good progress in his studies. He was determined to stand ahead of Merriwell in that line, at least, and it really seemed that he might secede less Frank gave more time to his studies and less to athletics. This was not easy for a fellow in Merriwell's position, and with his ardent love for all sorts of manly sports to do, he gave all the time he could to studies without becoming a greasy grind, but that was not as much as he would have liked. To Ditson's disappointment and chagrin, Merriwell seemed quite unaware that his enemy stood ahead of him in his classes. Frank seemed to have quite forgotten that such a person as Rawl Ditson existed. Ditson was an outcast. The fellow with whom he had roomed had left him shortly after his treachery was made public, and he was forced to room alone, as he could get no one to come in with him. Rawl did not mind this so much, however. He pretended that he was far more exclusive than the average freshman, and he tried to imitate the ways of the juniors and seniors, some of whom had swell apartments. Ditson's parents were wealthy, and they furnished him with plenty of loose change, so that he could cut quite a dash. He had fancied that his money would buy plenty of friends for him. At first, before his real character was known, he had picked up quite a following, but he posed as a superior, which made him disliked by the very ones who helped him spend his money. He had hoped to be a leader at Yale, but to his dismay he found that he did not cut much of a figure after all, and Frank Merriwell, a fellow who never drank or smoked, was far more popular. Then it was that Ditson conceived a plot to bring Merriwell into ridicule, and at the same time to get in with the enemies of the freshmen, the sophomores himself. Last he had learned that at Yale a man is not judged so much by the money he spends and the wealth of his parents as by his own manly qualities. But Ditson was a sneak by nature, and he could not get over it. If he started out to accomplish anything in a square way, he was likely to fancy that it could be done with less trouble in a crooked manner, and his natural instinct would switch him off from the course he should have followed. 
he was not at all fond of walter gordon but he liked him better than he did merriwell and it was gall and wormwood for him when he heard how merriwell had replaced gordon in the box at cambridge and had pitched a marvellous game for three innings oh it's just that fellow's luck rob muttered to himself he seems to be lucky in everything he does the next thing i'll hear is that he's going to pitch on the varsity team he little thought that this was true but it proved to be that very day he heard some sophomores talking on the campus and he lingered near enough to catch their words is it actually true parker that pearson has publicly stated that merriwell is fast enough for the varsity nine asked tad horner that's what it is nodded puss parker and i don't know but pearson is right i am inclined to think so rod exclaimed evan hartwood sharply i don't take stock in anything of the sort merriwell may make a pitcher some day but he is raw why he would get his eye batted out if he were to go up against harvard on the regular team oh i don't know about that said andy emery he's pretty smooth people is there anybody knows pearson made such an observation concerning him yes there is answered parker who knows it i do did you hear him i did that settles it yes that settles it great at roland ditson as he walked away parker didn't lie and pearson has intimated that merriwell may be given a trial on the varsity nine if he is given a trial it will be his luck to secede he must not be given a trial how can that be prevented then ditson set himself to devise some scheme to prevent frank from obtaining a trial on the regular nine was not an easy thing to think of a plan that would not involve himself in some way and he felt that it must never be known that he had anything to do with such a plot that night ditson might have been seen entering a certain saloon in new haven calling one of the barkeepers aside and holding a brief whispered conversation with him is professor kelly in asked rawl he is sir replied the barkeeper do you wish to see him well ahem yes if he is alone i think he is alone i do not think any of his pupils are with him at present sir will you be kind enough to see asked ditson this is a personal matter something i want kept quiet the barkeeper disappeared into a back room was gone a few minutes and then returned and said the professor is quite alone will you go up sir yes said rawl glancing around and then motioning for the barkeeper to lead the way he was taken into a back room and shown a flight of stairs knock at the door at the head of the flight instructed the barkeeper and after giving the man some money ditson went up the stairs come in called a harsh voice when he knocked at the door ditson found kelly sitting with his feet on a table while he smoked a strong-smelling cigar there were illustrated sporting papers on the table crumpled and ragged well young fellow what you want demanded the man without removing his feet from the table or his hat from his head ditson closed the door he was very pale and somewhat agitated are we all alone he asked choking a bit over the question that's what we are nodded the professor is it a sure thing our conversation cannot be overheard dead sure ditson hesitated he seemed to find it difficult to express himself just as he desired speak right out chummy said kelly in a manner intended to be reassuring i rudder thinks you wants to lick some cove and you come to me to put yer in shape to do der job well you bet your dough i'm de man to do dat 
how many lessons will you have it is not that at all declared rolf not dat cried kelly in surprise den what do yous want well you see it is like this er like this faltered roland i i've got an enemy well ain't dat what i said but i don't want to fight him oh i sees you want some other chap to do de trick yes that is it but i want them to more than lick him more than lick him why you don't want him killed does yer no answered ditson hoarsely but i want his right arm broken eh down came buster kelly's feet from the table upon which his knuckles fell and then he arose from the chair standing in a crouching position with his hands resting on the table across which he glared at roland ditson eh he squawked just say dat again cully Raoul was started and looked as if he longed to take to his heels and get away as quickly as possible but he did not run and he forced himself to say this is a case of business professor i will pay liberally to have the job done as i want it and use wants a bloke's arm broke yes well dis is a quar deal if you wanted his head broke it wouldn't surprise me but to want his arm broke gee i don't care if he gets a rap on the head at the same time but i don't want him killed i want his right arm broken and that is the job i am ready to pay for kelly straightened up somewhat placed one hand on his hip while the other rested on the table crossed his legs and regarded ditson steadily with a stare that made rawl very nervous i might a known you didn't want to fight him yourself the professor fondly said and ditson did not fail to detect the contempt in his face and voice no i do not declared ditson an angry flush coming to his face he is a scrapper and i don't think i am his match in a brutal fight brutal is good and you wants his arm broke don't propose to give him no show at all eh i don't care a continental what is done so long as he is fixed as i ask i suppose you're one of them stoogent fellers yes i am a student and tutter fella is a stoogent yes them fellers is easy then you will do the job for me will you nah snorted kelly not on your natural what do you take me for i do nothing of that kind i've got a reputation to sustain i has ditson looked disappointed i'm willing to pay well to have the job done he said well you can find somebody to do it for you but i don't know where to find anybody professor kelly sat down relighted his cigar restored his feet to the table picked up a paper seemed about to resume reading and then observed this is no information bureau but i suppose i might put you on to a cove that'd do the trick for you if you's come down heavy with their stuff if you will i shall be ever so much obliged much obliged don't put no whiskey money talks me boy ditson reached into his pocket and produced some money i will give you five dollars to tell me of a man who will do the job for me he said pulling a five-dollar bill from the roll make it ten and i goes yer said kelly promptly done here is your money ditson handed it over i oughter make it twenty grumbled the pugilist this business is out of my line entirely and i don't want to be mixed up in it at all see i has a reputation ter sustain and it wouldn't do for nobody ter know i had anything to do with such a job as dis 
there is no danger that anybody will ever know it declared ditson impatiently i will not say anything about it well you wants to see dat yer don't if you do i'll hunt yer up meself and and i won't do a ting ter yous not a ting save your threats and come to business i'm impatient to get away as i do not care to be seen here by anybody who may drop in don't care to be seen here i like dat nit better men than yous has been here and don't you forget dat oh i don't care who's been here you have the money now tell me where i can find the man i want do you know plug kirby no well he is dear feller your wants where can i find him i'll give you his address kelly took a stub of a pencil out of his vest pocket and wrote with great labor on the margin of one of the papers this writing he tore off and handed to ditson then without another word he once more restored his feet to the top of the table and resumed reading as if there was no one in the room ditson went out without a word when he was gone kelly looked over the top of the paper toward the door and growled that feller's no good if you want it to fit der otter feller hisself i told him how to brook der otter chap's wrist but he ain't got der sand ter fight a baby he makes me sad i'd like to tump him a soaker on de jaw myself that evening frank went out to call on some friends he was returning to his rooms between ten and eleven when as he came to a dark corner a man suddenly stepped out and said give us a light young feller i have none said frank attempting to pass then give us a match demanded the man blocking the road as i do not smoke i never carry matches well then i suppose i'll have to go without ere light but you'll take that like a flash the man struck straight and hard at the youth's face it was a wicked blow delivered with marvellous swiftness and must have knocked frank down if it had landed but merriwell had suspected all along that it was not a light the man was after and he had been on the watch for just such a move as was made for all of the man's swiftness frank dodged and the blow passed over his shoulder when frank ducked he also struck out with his left which he planted in the pit of the assailant's stomach it was a heavy blow and for a moment it rounded the man up before the ruffian could recover he received a thump under the ear that made him see stars and sent him sprawling but the man had a hard head and he hastily got up upon his feet uttering fierce words he expected to see the youth in full flight and was astonished to perceive that frank had not taken to his heels with a snarl of fury the wretch rushed at merriwell frank dodged again and came up under the man's arm giving him another heavy blow then the man turned and they sparred for a moment durned if yous ain't the liveliest kid i ever seen muttered the astonished ruffian yous can fight well i can fight enough to take care of myself returned the lad with something like a laugh smack smack smash three blows in rapid succession caused the ruffian to reel and gasp then for a few moments the fight was savage and swift it did not last long the ruffian had been drinking and frank soon had the best of it he ended the encounter by striking the man a regular knockout blow and the fellow went down in a heap when the ruffian recovered he was astonished to find frank had not departed but was bending over him how do you feel the boy calmly inquired say i'm all broke up was the feeble reply are you the fellow what done me i presume i am well what you're waiting for to see how badly you are hurt 
your head struck the stones with a frightful force when you fell did it well it feels that way here's a lump as big as your fist what do you care i didn't know but your skull was fractured what difference did that make i didn't want you to remain here and suffer with a broken head didn't eh and i tried to do ye up without giving yer any warning this is the quarest deal i ever struck i was trying to knock your stiff and then break your arm break my arm that's what i was here for frank was interested then you were here on purpose to meet me sure mike but why were you going to break my arm cause that's what i was paid for me boy frank caught hold of the ruffian who had risen to a sitting posture and was holding on to his head paid for cried the boy excitedly do you mean to tell me that you were paid to waylay me and break my arm i didn't mean to tell yer anything but a feller what can fight like you can and then stay there to see if a chap what tried ter do em was hurt that kind of a feller ought to be told then tell me tell me all about it urged Merriwell. there ain't much ter tell some sneak wanted your arm broke and he came ter me ter do der job he paid me twenty to lay for use and fix yer i was hard up and i took ter job though i didn't like it much then he put me on to yer and i followed yer dare to your house where yous went this evening i watched till yers come out and then i skips round ter hedge yer off yer i hedge yer and ask for a light yous knows de rest better than what i does well this is decidedly interesting so i have an enemy who wants my arm broken yes your right arm that would fix me so i'd never pitch any more that's what's likely if you're a pitcher would you know the person who hired you if you were to see him again sure did he give you his name that's what he did ah that's what i want see here tell me his name or by the gods of war i will see that you are arrested and shoved for this night's work and you will let me off if i tells yes swear it i swear it you won't make a complaint again me i will not well then here's his card what he gave me the ruffian fumbled in his pocket and took out a card which he passed to frank who eagerly grasped it here's a match me boy said the man i had a pocket when i braced you for one he passed a match to frank who hastily struck it on a stone and then held it so that he could read the name that was engraved on the card in his fingers a cry of astonishment broke from Merriwell's lips and both card and match fell from his fingers to the ground this is the name he had read upon the card mr burnham putnam End of chapter thirty one